says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020, and joining me to break down all the action in the NRL, New South Wales Cup and Jersey flag for round 22 is my good mate, 60s. How are you holding up, big fella? Mate, I'm going real well. I Just, well, sort of fresh from going and watching a, a couple of NRLW training sessions. I'll have that for the website. We're gearing up for their season, but right now... I'm really looking forward to this preview because I'm feeling pretty pumped about the Eels' chances in the NRL, and I know that I'm going to be a bit wiser in what to expect because we we do have a fantastic guest to help us break down what we're about to see in the Eels versus the Rabbitohs. And just those few little teasers you've given me about the NRLW squad have got me pretty pumped up for their first action of this 2022 season. Was it next week now? So it's just yes, the it is. It is next. It is next weekend, and uh, yeah, I, I have to say, mate, I've been I've been really impressed, and uh, it's yeah, it's I'm I'm really looking forward to it, especially those the last two sessions that I've been able to watch. Is um, I don't want to give too much away because I will uh, put that in the training report, but I think there's. There's a bit to look forward to. I think para, the Parramatta Reels will have a slightly different approach to how they'll play the game this season. But certainly my thanks to all the staff there for making me feel so uh, welcome, especially last night at their at their training session. Uh, had tremendous access to the staff and the players. And yeah, it was just a, it was just a brilliant night. For now, though, let's kick off the show with a special guest. And I'm really looking forward to this one, mate. As the Eels gear up for another tilt at the postseason, so too does TCT in the tip sheet get ready for some finals football. And to do that, we've got to start calling the Big Gun 60 and one of our favourite rugby league pundits and a long-time friend of the fro, Bernie Gurr, joins us today Sorry, to look at what's happening with the Parramatta Eels across the last few weeks as well as what lies ahead for them. Good morning, Bernie. How you doing, mate? Good, boys. How are you? Doing very well, actually, to be honest, even though it is a bit of a chilly overcast day. I'm really looking forward to the game this week and also looking forward to talking to you about the last few games Eels have had because they've been up and down, but more so up lately, and they're really starting to build something. Yeah, look, you know, there's an old saying in pro sports, you are what the competition table says you are. And, you know, we're currently running on uh, 28 points. We're fifth on, you know, for and against, but we're not that far off second. Um, you know, it's pretty crowded there at the top of the table. Um, just looking back at some of the, the, the pattern of results this year, the Eels haven't lost two in a row all year. Um, that's a very good thing. We've won four of the last five. And I think, look, there were a few alarm bells after the recent round 19 loss to Brisbane at home. And I noticed there was a bit of negativity around the team and their prospects from, you know, so-called rugby league pundits. But, you know, we haven't lost two in a row all year. And then we came out. Um, after that, and there was a concern after that. Some of the people were ringing the alarm bells. But, you know, I looked at it and thought, well, you know, th- those things happen. You know, bad. sometimes you just get a, you have a bad one in you. And Parramatta do occasionally have that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of clubs in the NRL that would like to be where Parramatta is. 
And one of the reasons I had a bit of confidence that I thought the Eels could bounce back after that Brisbane game was, number one, is the talent. I always look at the talent in, in a rugby league team. Do they have the talent to do what we think they're going to do? And secondly was the motivation. The following week we're up against the Panthers and that's always a game that, you know, brings out the best, quite frankly, in both clubs. So, um, you know, the so-called concept of this inconsistency, which has become a bit of a mantra from uh, the rugby league media around Parramatta, that's driven by the expectations. The reason they expect Parramatta to be very consistently good is because of the expectations they have when they look at the roster and how we've played over the last two or three years. So, you know, that's driven by expectation. The Eels are a good side, so I was pretty confident that uh, they could bounce back. And, you know, again, with pro sports, you know, things are usually never as good as they seem, but they're, they're never as bad as they seem. Yeah, like isn't that. that the truth? I mean, as fans, you tend to be really jaded, I think, when you look at your well, team and think at how poor they're going. But you look at other the fans of other teams, they'll start saying, you know, even if that team is heavy on the ladder, like they have one loss all of a sudden, look how bad we're going. It's easy well, to, yeah, look at the cracks rather than the good stuff. Absolutely, and particularly in this age where, you know, there's 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 immediacy of opinion, social media and whatever, but we we live in an emotional world, which is pro sports. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of what I call recency bias. You know, if it happened last night in the game, then that's us. That's, yeah. that's the player, and they judge everything on. There's a huge amount of recency bias. Suddenly... You know, a number of players, if they play well, they're the next immortal, and if they don't, they should be playing reserve grade. It's just absurd. You know, there's, there's, you, you know, you tend to look, hopefully, just at a more balanced approach. But, you know, I thought the Eels could bounce back basically because of the talent, the motivation, and, you know, we all knew it, that, they, that they're a good side and they haven't lost two in a row all year. The, uh, one of the interesting things out of that, uh, Bernie, was that we were going to have to um, – in the last match, maintain a little bit of momentum without Mitch Moses. We had to call on Jake Arthur to take over from Mitch. What qualities did you think that Jake Arthur brought to the team for that uh, match against Manly? Yeah, for the game against Manly, I thought, you know, Brad and I, you know, I know Brad and I, I know how he approaches it. And, I, he, and this was consistent with what I'd heard him saying just in a couple of interviews I'd heard. He just wanted Jake to keep it simple. Um, that would have been his instruction. They're, they're the fundamentals. Good talk. Uh, make sure we get our good attacking formation set up on the right-hand side. And he did that. And when he got a couple of opportunities in the second half, the good shape gave us a couple of tries, one to Wong and Blake and a, and a kick through for Will Penasini. So number one, good talk. Number two, get your attacking formations right on your side of the field. Number three, make your tackles. Um, and also in defence, obviously organise that right side D and, and keep talking with Will and Isaiah Papali. So I think he kept it very, very simple, and, and Jake did keep, keep it simple. He played very well, real solid game from him. You know, the cherry on top was the couple of tries that he that he was that he got the try assist for in the second half, and that was critical time in the game. So I thought, you know, he did keep it simple, um, and it worked out really well. And I was happy for Jake that he had a good game. One of the really sweet moments too. I was watching the Fox broadcast, so I missed it live. But on Channel Nine, they got Jake on the post game show with their. Uh, the little platform they have out on the sideline there. And he was really starstruck um, having a chance to chat to Jonathan Thurston and, and pick his brain about how his game was and whatnot. And I thought that was just, you know, it's easy to forget how young players like Jake are when they come into first grade. But it was very much a, a young kid meeting one of his, you know, guys he looked up to, guys he sort of modelled his game off of. And it was, you know, really good to see. 
Oh, exactly. And he, he'd know Jonathan Thurston's game very well. And as, as you guys know, Jake's been watching every game of football every weekend for the last 10 years. Um, so, yeah, he, to, to be able to you know talk to JT, and I, I, I did see that interview, and JT was very complimentary of Jake's game. And given all the, the stuff that's been going on around Jake publicly, it was just really good to see him have a game. We know he's a great kid. And, and look, it's not just the fact that he's a great kid. Being a great kid doesn't get you into first grade. It, it helps when you've got the character he has, obviously. But, you know, he has, he has some talent. And also he's got a very good football IQ. I'd suggest there wouldn't be many 19-year-olds that understand the game, the modern game, as well as Jake does. No, good points there, mate. Uh, 60s and I dug our teeth into the game pretty much immediately after on a Friday night. And then uh, yesterday we had a chance to chat with Spiro about it too. And, you know, there, this was a game that had uh, different runs of play for sure for both teams, both the Eels and Manly. But how did you see Parramatta's performance on the whole against the Seagulls? Excellent. I thought it was a very good performance. Uh, number one, they're on the road. Number two, they're up against a very motivated Seagull side that had lost before when they had all the drama around the Pride round. You know, their season was effectively on the line if, and they were very, very keen to improve their position in the top eight. So you're playing a very motivated team, uh, playing that team, the Seagulls, playing at home. We got behind 14-8 at one stage. We were behind early in the second half, I think. And, you know, that was a real crunch time. There was a real delicate point a tipping point in that second half and the team aimed up in the second half and went on to a terrific win we scored seven tries to three i think it was in the end when you looked at it, it was quite definitive mm-hmm. uh so a really solid performance but it was on the back of what i'll call the Parramatta blueprint you know that power game the support play uh through the middle and on the edges with gutherson supporting you know his forwards particularly lane on that left edge and then uh, you know, Dylan Brown playing really well. Dylan really stepped up, I thought, in the game. And as I said, I thought Jake played well. So it was it was what I – I think that second half particularly, or really the entire game, but particularly the second half, it was the Parramatta Blue. Um, and, you know, they had – I think Parramatta had 53% position, possession and 86% completions. Well, that's Parramatta. If Parramatta get those stats, they're very hard to beat against anybody, and they did it. it was a really good win on the road. So we've just got your take on them as, as a team performance. You mentioned a couple of individuals there, but from that individual perspective, who impressed you, and were there any performances from uh, players that might have slipped under the radar? Well, you know, the obvious one's got the credit. I thought Gutho had probably his best game of the year. Sean Lane's continued his outstanding form on that left edge. Uh, Dylan Brown playing off Sean on that, playing with Sean on that left edge was terrific. A um, couple of guys, I, I thought Reed Marnie had a really one of you know, he got back to doing what we know Reed can do. I thought his passing was very, very precise, and that's so important to get that precise passing out of dummy half. I thought defensively he was good. Um, Reed's always going to miss a few tackles. I know people criticise him because, you know, he's not the biggest guy and people do tend to run at him. So just from a numbers point of view, just the, the number of attempts of tackles he makes, you're going to you're going to drop off one occasion. But I thought he was good defensively. So, yeah, I thought Reed was really good. I thought also Manly was shifting the ball a lot coming out of trouble, anywhere from about 35 yards out from their line. They were looking to shift the ball. So that put a bit of pressure on Penasini on the right side and Albacheck on the left side. They made... A lot of tackles in this game, um, more tackles than they'd normally make because of that fact that Manly was shifting the balls so much out of their own territory. So I thought they were they were solid. Um, 
And, of course, you know, we tend to take them for granted, but Paulo and, and Campbell Gillard, when they're off the field, you really notice their value. Um, and I thought they were terrific, you know, through the middle of the field there. Yeah, I think that's pretty pretty good summation. Um, and probably more in-depth than what we went into in our post-game, but echo some of the stuff we were saying, which is, you know, always good to have as positive reinforcement there. So, you know, good calls there, Bernie. Now, just, you- to call, just to comment on Dylan, like, you know, Dylan's one of those players that if you're a footy fan, I think any most fans of any club would like watching Dylan play because oh, yeah. he's, yeah. he's such a talent. And um, you always feel with Dylan, though, that he's got more left in the tank, that it's still there's still more good things to come. I thought he had a great game. The show-and-go and the long-distance try was just, well, that was the highest rap I can give that. It was it was Brett Kenny-like. Um, and Parramatta probably hasn't had a six anywhere near the talent of, of Brett, and I'm not saying Dylan's Brett Kenny, he's not, you know, but what I'm saying is that we have a special talent sitting there in the number six jersey, and that, you know, I think he, if Dylan can just stay committed and dedicated to the course, he's going to be an absolutely outstanding, he is an outstanding yeah, player I, now. I think you, you're spot on in saying that he's, he's just starting to tap in to the potential that he's got, you know, we've obviously watched him since he was knee-high to a grasshopper in terms of representative football or, you know, rugby league, but uh, coming through the Harold Matthews and beyond, but he is very, very good, and it's on both sides of the ball too. Man, I think he made forty tackles in this game. You know, just major uh, stuff. There was a defensive play there where it was very dangerous, and he hadn't been there, and he sprinted about thirty or forty yards to tap a ball, a kick yep. ball over the dead ball, which led, led to a short dropout that we took, which then completely yeah. arrested momentum from Manly's hands. Absolutely. So you know that wasn't mentioned by any of the commentators, no. but that's huge player and we, we all know how good Dylan is with his wonderful cover tackles on the right hand side of the field when he runs from the left hand side of our defence and we've seen that many times but that was another in, indication just he's just he's just he's footy smarts about knowing where to be at the right time and then making the effort to actually execute the play mm-hmm. Now you mentioned at the top of the show about how you're confident for the bounce back factor for the Parramatta coming out of that loss to the Brisbane Broncos let's flip the tables here were there any concerns that you had coming out of last week? Where do the Eels need to sharpen up in the next, uh, was it, four games before we get to the postseason? I don't think that game is nothing major. Uh, the last two weeks, the win against Penrith and Manly on the road should seem enormous confidence. Um, it's funny, though, recent success is often the greatest enemy of future success um, because players, you know, human nature, complacency sets in. They think it's just going to happen again. But really, every week, you've got to go back and start again every week. Go back to the basics, run hard, support, tackle hard, kick long. And Parramatta, sometimes you get the impression they think it's just going to happen. But I think, um, you know, if, if they can be committed physically uh, to the contest, they should have got a great lot of confidence out of the last two weeks. So I don't think there's anything major that I'd be concerned about. They just need to focus on... Um, like I said, just focus on the basics. Uh, when Parramatta do that, it gives them a platform then to play well, build pressure, and put, and then therefore potentially build victory. And I suppose the maybe the the tie into that is that the injury to Mitchell Moses serves as like the sovereign remedy to letting complacency set in. They know that they're without their signal caller, their guy that leads them around the park, which means that while Jake Arthur is obviously going to do a solid job replacing him, everyone else needs to put in to help share that load. So maybe that's going to help them stay on their toes. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair common. Whenever you lose your best player, um, Penrith probably demonstrated that when they had Cleary and yeah, Luai. Exactly. 
the, the rest of the team were very, very committed to making sure that that was not going to be an excuse. And you felt that with Parramatta, that the effort and commitment and the physical uh, commitment to the to the collision, et cetera, was very, very good. So, yeah, I think that is a factor. Well, there's no let-up in the questions that the Eels are going to have to answer because they're playing the Rabbitohs this week and the Rabbitohs have an outstanding recent record against us. Uh, they've had different players in over that period of time of the, that success. They've now got a different coach this year. But that doesn't seem to have slowed their role with that. Why do you think the Rabbitohs have been so successful against the Eels, Bernie? I think uh, the reason I think they're successful is their spine. Their spine, like in prior years, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what I call an extended spine where I include the 13 because the 13s now are becoming part of that uh, ball-playing role within a lot of teams, including South. If, if you look at their spine of Cook, Murray, and in recent years, Reynolds, Walker, Latrell, Mitchell, that's as good as any spine in the league. Now, this year, of course, Ilias has replaced Reynolds, but uh, yeah, but they haven't. it hasn't changed their, their strategies or their tactics. So their spine is very, very strong. Um, the team knows their roles. When they're in good, good ball field position, uh, they have excellent shapes and formations, and they have the silky skills of that spine to execute, particularly on the left side, which would be the Eels' right side defence. And they've been able, with good shapes, Guys playing their role, running good decoys, etc. They're not, they've been out, able to outnumber us consistently. I'd say for the last four or five years, so they can us on the left hand side, which is our right defence. Um, and the other thing that builds that for them is when South's coming out of their own half are actually very very conservative. They basically just hit the ball up. Their forwards just rumble forward, and they got some they got some big boppers that are happy to do that. With you know Selay Totola, he's in, he's probably in career best form. Uh, Colomatungi, Arrow, they just rumble forward so they can get in good ball sets to then put on their plays and use the skill of that spine that I talked about. So, I th and they seem to be up when, when they play the Eels. They're going to be up again this week because they're sitting on, um, they're sitting one win behind the Eels. Right, they yeah. top eight. So, they're, you know, I'd be very, very surprised if they're not super motivated again this week. But they're a, they're a side that builds momentum with conservative, strong uh, power game out of their own end. And once they get, you know, anywhere over the halfway line, uh, their shift plays are very good. Now, this is despite the fact that, you know, recently, you know, Gagai's not there from last year and Campbell Graham's not there. Um, so the key against them is to play good field position. Um, but they've got they've got a very they've got a very potent team. Colin Matungi's improving every week. Jai Arrow's out on that left edge, so. When you look at their team, it's, it's a pretty impressive outfit. And then, of course, you've got Latrell Mitchell at the back. Yeah, Latrell is the big question mark, isn't he? He's the enigma, the, the difference maker for him. He's come back from injury. He's settled in nicely now. He's probably not in prime form just yet, which is a bit of a concern for Parramatta because that could be what happens this week. But assuming that he gets back to his best in this particular game, how do you shut down the influence of a player like Latrell, a guy that can pop up on both sides of the field, blends power and finesse so well? You pray. You know, we, we all hear say, well, we can't stop them, but we're just going to have to do our best to contain them. And that, that is the case. Like, 
Latrell's a unique player. He really is not an involvement type guy. Like at times he's wandering around and you're thinking, please have a run, do something. He's not like Tedesco or Dylan Edwards. Yeah, or Gus. Energizer bunnies that are always on the ball, always pushing up. They probably get two to three times more touches. They take a lot more carries out of the backfield. But Latrell comes to life in good ball sets, and that's in the attacking half. Um, and South's clinical edge play, he's a hes a particular piece of that, as we just talked about, with respect to how well their spine combines. And some of his silky skills for a big, powerful athlete are unique. And then when he decides to run the ball in good ball sets, he's borderline unstoppable. He scored that try last week against the Warriors. It, it was like swatting flies. Um, so how you limit Latrell is basically, if you can keep, Stouts for a reasonable proportion of the game out of good ball sets. You'll keep Latrell out of the game because he's not a guy that takes a lot of carries out of the backfield. He doesn't actually do much out of the backfield. Mm-hmm. There's half the field where Latrell's not 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 terrifically involved in South's game. He he may be talking them and helping them guide them around the field from the back. Yes, but you know he's a guy that really comes to life when they get over the halfway line. So in a way, it's almost completely unrelated to how you shut him down. Your forward pack really needs to stamp ascendancy. In, in terms of possession territory and his defensive resolve in South's half. Absolutely, and that may even mean um, when the Eels are doing their long kicking, they may actually kick directly to Latrell. I, I would look at that so then and then go up in one line. Then you, you're really isolating. He's not going to then carry the ball later or you may tire him out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's a theory you kick away from someone like Latrell, um, but there's the other thing. Mate, you may want to wear him yeah, out. Yeah, target him. Yeah. Get the ball in his hand in opportunities that he doesn't like to attack with. So that's, that's well, interesting. People bombing from the halfway, for example, on fifth tackle, maybe if he's sitting in the middle of the field under the goalpost, you bomb it as high, high as you can, get through and surround him and, and take him down, then he's sort of out of the play then, isn't he? Yep. Well, that sort of tactic might be the unexpected from Parramatta, but just flipping that, and maybe you've answered this a little bit before, Bernie, but do you think the Rabbitohs will throw anything unexpected at Parra, or will it simply be that South 101 in action? I think it'll be South 101. They haven't changed their style in basically four or five years, um, and it's it's that power game out of their own half. They're very good at it. They then, particularly when Reynolds was there, they were kicking long into corners, and then of course when they got their chance with the ball, they've they've got that clinical execution, particularly on those shift plays to the left. But they can also do it to the right if. Uh, Walker and Mitchell sweep around to the right. So I think their game strategies are going to be – I don't think Brad's going to get – South's not going to throw anything at, at, at the heels that Brad's not preparing for. Um, I don't think their kicking, particularly their long kicking, but even their short kickings is good without Reynolds. It's still not too bad, but it's not quite as good. Um, so, no, I think their game strategies will be the same. But the key, the key here, or one of the keys, will be the fact that I do think South will be very, very motivated. Like they would, in the back of their mind, they're thinking if we can get four four wins out of out of the next final four regular season games, I think they think we can make the top four. Um, so within the walls of South this week, uh, I would expect them to be very motivated. And then looking at the field from the other side, you've already offered us one unique and intriguing sort of game for you for Parramatta in, in terms of going after Latrell of the kicking game. But is there anything else that the Parramatta Eels can do in this particular matchup that you know, in terms of targeting an individual or exploiting a certain look, given how you know how strong Souths have been against us, you know, for what it feels like years now. Yeah, look, with Gagai and Graham missing at the moment from the team that went to the grand final last year, 
they're a little inexperienced, particularly on that right edge. So our left side attack against their right side because they've got Jackson Paulo. I think it's I think it's either Jackson Paulo or Isaiah Tasses. They're both inexperienced centres. Isaac Thompson's an inexperienced right winger. Um, Kolomatangi and Ilias are still relatively inexperienced. So potentially, I was just looking at their lineup and seeing where you could potentially attack them. It's not an overly experienced right side defence, the South. So potentially the Eels could look at uh, cutting down that left side, which would play into the Dylan Brown, Sean Lane, Gutherson uh, combination. That's you know when we're playing well, those guys are, their guy, those guys are contributing to that. So that just looking at their lineup and where you could potentially see any vulnerability, uh, they've probably got a pretty inexperienced right side defence. And, and just then as well, taking that line through uh, Parramatta's game, what is it that the Eels will need to do well to get the victory? Well, mate, I think we talked about it earlier. This is It's not a game where you want to come out and, and you know, be throwing the ball around crazy. It's, it's you know, again, Brad talks about this a lot. They've got to build their game from the basics. Start with the basics. Good things happen for Parramatta. The offloads, the shifts out to Dylan Brown and Lane on the right side or Papa Lee on the left side or Papa Lee on the right side. Those good things happen off the back of the foundation we build in the middle. So we've got to, you know, do the old, the old run hard, tackle hard, kick long, build pressure. Then when we get our opportunity in good ball sets, that pressure potentially then allows a few offloads or potentially Dylan Brown getting, um, you know, Sean Lane one-on-one with Ilias there on that our left side, their right side. And then, of course, Gutho's sniffing around there as he did so well against uh, Manly in combination with Lane. So um, that's what I'd be I'd be looking at. But, you know, I think they're all things that, you know, Brad and the coaching staff are well aware of all that. Um the, the, the thing I want to see, though, from Parramatta is when, when South are bringing the ball out of their half, we can't just go through the motions. We've got to reset quickly on defence. We've got to get off the line very quickly, and we've got to get into them physically. And low-key, low I think that's where South have been so good against us in the last few head-to-head matchups. is that their forward pack has uh, been disruptive and really gotten the, the ascendancy on ours. And that's Absolutely. Dola, really... Sele, even Havili this year has been very, very effective through the middle of the field. He's a... He's turned into a terrific power forward when he's come on for South. Young Mowali, the 19-year-old, and then even in their, even when they're coming out of trouble, they'll get Colin Matungi and Arrow to come in there and just really do some power runs. So we've got to really aim up in South's half when they're bringing the ball out of trouble and really get into them physically, not just go through the motions, but really you know, engage the collision and, and basically give it to them. No, very good call there, Bernie. Now... Recent history doesn't fare well for the Parramatta Eels. Souths are on, a, I think it's a six-game or five-game win streak against Parramatta. Our last win dating back to 2019. All the data says this is going to be a tough one, but we're at home in front of what I hope is going to be a packed house at Combank Stadium. How's this one going to play out? What's the score in this contest on Friday night, Bernie? Yeah, I think it's going to be a super game. I think it's, you know, I, I think it's, you know, even though you've got Melbourne and uh, Penrith tonight, they've got a f- number of players out both sides. I think the, the Eels-Rabbitohs game is the best game of the weekend. I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I think I think the Eels will be very motivated too. They're coming home. Their confidence should be high. Brad would have stressed, we've got to do our basics. We've got to, we've got, got to get to our kick, play good field position, do the pressure game. And... I just think the Eels can get it done. It's going to it's going to be a fascinating game, and it's 
again, this this game is a real mental challenge for the Eels to really commit uh, to the collision to stop South building the momentum, particularly out of their own end. And then in in our end, when South look to do their good ball shifts, we've got to be very committed. I'd be pushing out a little bit from the middle of the field and, and making sure that we cover more of the real estate on the edges because in recent times, as you guys alluded to earlier, we've we've lost the real estate battle out on the edge, particularly our right edge, which is South's left edge attack. Um, they've regularly outnumbered us there. We need to push out and get our spacings and get our man-on-man defence a bit better out on those edges. But if we can do all that, and I think we'll be motivated as well, um, I think the, the Eels can squeak out a win. Very, very good summation of it all, Bernie. Thank you. It's always a blast to have you on the show, and I always look forward to the August and September podcast because it means we're getting <clears throat> getting you back on the show to talk about uh, finals football and, and high-stakes footy. So, yeah, I hope everyone enjoyed having you back on the tip sheet. We look forward to having you in the finals too, mate, if possible. Not a problem. Pleasure, boys. Thanks, Bernie. All right, 60s, let's switch things up a bit this week for the preview. Usually, obviously, we go flag, cup, NRL. Let's do the old reverse and kick things off with the NRL, the primetime game, 7.55 p.m. out at Combank Stadium. It is a home game for Parramatta. We're hoping for either a sellout or close to, given what's on the line this week. Let's take a look at the Rabbitohs lineup first. At number one, we spoke about him with Bernie Latron Mitchell. He's their dynamo, their game changer. But on the wings, they've got the try-scoring stud that is Alex Johnston. And then they've got Isaac Thompson on the other side. In the centres, it's Jackson Polo and Isaiah Tass. Halves pairing right now is Cody Walker and Lachlan Ilias. But there is a bit of an injury cloud, hang, injury cloud sorry, hanging over Ilias right now. I think he was rated as a 50-50 for this game. So there could be a potential change there. In the front row, it's Tavita Tatoa, Damian Cook and Hame Sewe. Back row, Kioan Kaloma Tangi. Jai Arrow and Cameron Murray on the bench. Blake Taff, Mark Nichols, Sevilla Havi- Saliva Havili, not Sevilla, sorry, and Davy Mawali. Uh, Blake Taff being on the bench gives him an immediate out for Lachlan Ilias if there is an issue there. Obviously, extended roster, Tane Milne, Dean Hawkins, Daniel Saluka Fafita, Shakai or Shakai Mitchell, and Josh Mansour. For the Eels on the flip side, we've got Quinton Gufferson, captain and fullback on the wings, Mike Acevo, Wanga Blake. Centres, Will Penasini, Tom Opacic. In the halves, Dylan Brown and Jacob Arthur reprising his role at halfback from last week. In the front row, big Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Barlow with Reed Money at dummy half. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i and thankfully Ryan Madison round out an unchanged back line. Looks like Madison got through that concussion scare. I mean, scare might not be the right word, but he was HIA late in that game against Manly. Looks like he's good to take to the field this week, which is huge. On the bench, we've got a debutante 60s, one that we've been pushing for for a little bit. Hickey Ogden makes his club debut for the Parramatta Eels this week. We'll talk about that shortly. Joining him on the interchange, Bryce Cartwright, Oregon Kafusi, Murata Niakore, extended roster, Makhesi Makatoa, Bailey Simonson, Kai Rodwell, Sean Russell, and Ellie Ellsgem. Like I said, this one kicks off at 7.55pm. Hopefully we don't have to wait uh, too much longer from the scheduled time this week because last time we had to wait what an extra 5 to 10 minutes because of uh, all the stoppages in the 6 o'clock game. Yeah, it's... Uh, mate, it... I'm really looking forward to this. And given our chat that we've just had with Bernie, it's I, I had a bit of confidence coming into the match. I think I have a little bit more after uh, Bernie broke down the, uh, the the way this could play out in, in his eyes and the, and the positives that are there um, and the potential for how to play this game against the Rabbitohs. So... Uh, just you just ran through that that team list, and you know 
Bernie talked about the South Sydney spine. And when I look at their team, I think to myself, on paper, that is their greatest threat that they're posing. And maybe that goes without saying for all teams that the spine is is potentially a team's, uh, you know, greatest threat. It's probably where a team invests most of their salary cap in. But, you know, you, you shut down some of those players and there is a real potential to change that run of results that the Eels have had against the South Sydney Rabbitohs uh, in terms of the losses. Because, as Bernie said, there's a little bit of an experience there yeah, in that absolutely. South Sydney team. Yeah, particularly that back line. Jackson Paulo is primarily a winger. Obviously, he's moved to the centres more recently. Isaiah Tass, Isaac Thompson, not the most experienced players in the NRL. Um, you, know, you look at, obviously, Alex Johnson. He is a pro's pro. He's been there forever. Um, you know, he's a guy that's in line to potentially break Ken Irvine's all-time try-scoring record, so he knows his way around the football field. But elsewhere in that back line, there's some opportunities to exploit. Yeah, there is. I mean, I, I, I don't want to downplay the South pack at all because I think they are an almighty pack. But no Tom also. Burgess is significant. He's been very good yep. against Parramatta in recent years. Uh, so yep. yeah, the, I think, like we talked, we spoke about it with the Manly game, um, you know, with or without Mitchell Moses, but especially without him, these are the sort of games where you've got guys like Reg and Junior who really need to set the tone early on. And they did against Manly, and Manly did well to fight their way back in, but when they came back on, they took the game away from him. So I'm looking at the forwards here to really own this matchup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because... Um, I'm I'm looking at the I'm looking at the forwards and if there's a slight edge to the eels in the pack just on paper, but I also know that the, the Souths have always delivered as well in the pack against the eels. We've I think it's fair to say that we've underperformed as yep. a pack against them in the past. Yes, uh, they've got they've got some class representative players within. Within that pack, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I definitely agree about shutting down. I, well, I mean, as I said, I, I like that concept of shutting down the, the spine as a way to get to the victory. But also, I agree with you that we have to at least match them in the forwards. But that's really where that's that's Parramatta one hundred and one, isn't it? Like to get on top in the middle. So I'm expecting. I'm well. No, I'm not expecting. I'm demanding that our forwards get on top yep. over the South Sydney pack. Um, demanding because I think it's it's within their um, DNA. It's within it's within the team's DNA that the forwards get on top of the opposition pack, and. I think that goes without saying, but the opportunities then present themselves to shut down the spine and also then to maybe exploit the inexperience there in the South Sydney back line. And, you know, I think the other onus too is just defensively in general, the Eels have to be on their game. In the last five outings, not only have Souths won all five games going back to late 2020, yeah, August 2020, uh, where they beat us 38-0 ahead of that uh, finals game we would later play that year with the whole Michael Jennings debacle. But in those five games, they have won with uh, points scored total, 38, 38, 38, 40, and 30. So the Eels have just been pulled apart defensively. 
And I think that they've really got to sharpen up there. And if you can just keep Souths to within a 20-point ballpark, you just set yourselves up so much for victory. I I mean, I'd like to see a low-scoring game where the Eels are in an arm wrestle with them. Yeah. Uh, will will that happen? Probably, Probably not. not. No. <laughs> Maybe a there, there's, no, there's nothing about our points against this year that would indicate that we're going to be in a low-scoring arm wrestle against a team. Um, but that's actually what I'd like to see in this game. I, I, I'd like it to be that tough, that we make them play a tough grind. Um, maybe the Eels think that they, uh, because they do face that exper- inexperience in the South Sydney team, that we've got potential for uh, a lot of points in us against that. But, yeah, I going on those results, you, you just look at that and you go, there is it's probably going to be another high scoring game so yeah i mean and you look at our game against manly uh that was fairly high scoring but i think we did a, a, if we can do what we did against manly in the second half defensively um you know the way that they attacked us with how he spreads is the way south will although south's probably still better at it uh, in terms of pulling apart of defense i think we'll be fairly well equipped but the question is you know what are the motivations from kickoff are they switched on are they dialed in are they ready to you know compete across so many different facets on the field when it's whether it's territory possession completion rates uh you know just the the hustle to get back 10 meters and then push up you know they're the, all the little battles in battles that are going to be important against a team that is just you know more most recently in terms of a historical context being a nightmare matchup for us there there is no way there is no way that they can't be switched on and really dialed up for a big performance in this it's we're talking about the um, fourth last round of the season, top four result being on the line against a team that's basically been our kryptonite over over the last five seasons and in front of a packed-out home stadium. What there, there couldn't be more of a recipe for being up in, in terms of motivation yeah, exactly. and, and being ready for the game. And like if, Bernie if, said, this is this is the finals before finals, isn't it? Like this is yeah. literally, we're, we're entering this week with a finals-like atmosphere. There is a huge amount on the line. It's 5v6, Eels on 28 points, Rabbitohs on 26. Both teams still very much right in the hunt for a top four finish. The, this is not quite winner-takes-all, but in terms of regular season, it is close too. Yeah, look, I, I mean, I want... I want control and composure, but I guess what I'm after is from the opening whistle. I, I want that. I want a composed aggression, if that makes sense. I, I don't want frantic football against a team like South because I think frantic football um, presents them with opportunities because not everyone's necessarily on the same page. I want composed aggression from the Eels, from the opening whistle. Mm-hmm. I want intent shown that they are going to leave bruises on their opposition. And I think by being having that controlled aggression and, and getting on top, you open up that mindset of uncertainty in their inexperienced players. So, uh, and, and, you know, we, we spoke with Bernie about ways that you can take Latrell Mitchell out of the game. And I think they were great observations with Bert from Bernie about 
getting the Eels forcing the ball into Latrell's hands more often than he might like it, targeting him with the kicks, making him take runs at a part of the field that he doesn't necessarily like mm-hmm. taking runs in, um, t- sapping his energy so that he's less likely to have significant involvements at other times. Yeah, there, there's all those little sort of uh, factors that go into the overall algorithm for victory, don't they? When you talk about draining him at one of the fields so he's got less burst at the other. Likewise, when I talk about the forward pack trying to dominate defensively, that you know it's not just getting the ascendancy on their opposite numbers. If you can control the forward pack, you can control Damian Cook. If you keep their play the balls and their their roll on slowed down, suddenly you're not getting guys like Ilias and Cody Walker coming at you downhill on the edges. So the you know we know that rugby league is a combined arms game. You know every different player and positional unit have to work together in order to achieve victory. But this is the sort of game where I think that it, you know it really starts with the kick chase, the kick, and the forward pack. So they're they're the key factors here for me. Mate, I don't know why, and this is just a ridiculous aside, but as you started talking about if you control, for some reason in my head came, if you control the mail, you control information. (laughs) Whenever I hear the control thing, I always think of the Simpsons one, if you control the sugar, then you have the power or whatever, like you get the money. So Homer becomes the sugar baron. So, yeah. But yes, this, this is going to be an absolute cracker of a game. Like Bernie said, this, you know, NRL fans as a neutral have been treated to a whole smorgasbord of high-stakes games uh, across the top eight in the coming weeks. And it starts tonight, as we record on a Thursday, with that Penrith Storm game, with all the spice behind the Brandy Alexander comments and wrestling, that are, you know, the, the genesis of the wrestling moves in the NRL, you know, going back to the Melbourne Storm. So that's a big one, but then equally so, if not more, Parramatta taking on the South Sydney Rabbitohs. We asked Bernie what his call was. He's tipping Parramatta to get over the line. How do you see it, mate? Because I know you've been last couple of weeks a little bit reticent to tip Parramatta. It's been hard because you know we we had that bad game against the Broncos, but they've certainly built something pretty nice across those Penrith and Manly wins. There might be some support, some supporters out there listening to this that are saying, "60s, please tip against." Yes, us. please tip against. Please tip against. You know we've been so good <laughs> when you've been just you know had a little little bit of doubt in the heart in the last couple of weeks. Do you know what I I can't go past us. For this game, yeah, I know we've got a, a grill-sized, yeah, we've got a grill-sized rabbit on our back, but you got to throw it off at some point. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, I've got, I've got the um, last week. I, I really had that conflict between the head and the heart because the head was telling me that it was just going to be maybe a, a, a hill too high to climb. Um, the but the heart was saying, "We've got this. We will we will take the Sea Eagles, and you know, like forget uh, results in in other years at Brookvale. This is this is the time to get them. This week, I believe that the team is ready to take the next step of not just getting." three wins in a row, but when we talk about it, the Eels have won four of their last five. If they can get this, that's five of the last six. We're we're talking about some serious momentum that would be created from a win here. I spoke about all the reasons why, from a mindset perspective, they will be up for this game. 
I liked what we were seeing from the form of individual players last week, some of the key players. I think we'll get this done, mate. So I, I know that I'm hoping, I was hoping for more of a low-scoring grind. I'm not talking about, you know, extra low-scoring. I'm just talking about in comparison to some of the scores that have been seen, not just between Parramatta and South, which we'd, I'd love to flip completely and have a, a massive win our way. But, you know, just that I don't want to see us leak as many points. Mm-hmm. Because I think if we start to leak points against South, that's not a that's not going to augur well for how the result might go. Because once you start giving them confidence and momentum, yeah, give them that early we've seen the what they can do. And it's not just to Parramatta that they do this. It's it's when they when they get a win against an opposition, they generally will go on with it. And uh, yeah, I just don't want them to get a sniff. Okay, so I'm going to go for a midpoint sort of result I think it's going to be something like 28 to 14 the Eels over South I'm going to take Sebo as first try scorer nothing um, mysterious about that and I'm going to go with uh, I think he'll back it up Dylan Brown as best on field again I like I like yeah, I think you've made some very good tips there. It's boring for the first try scorer, but it is so hard to go past Mike Acevo, isn't it? You know, we just play so strong right to left. He's been the strike guy in the last couple of weeks where we have, you know, started to get our first try scoring mojo back. So that that is a sensible pick there. I'll just go something different just for the sake of being a contrarian. Um, who's going to get over the line here? Maybe it's a forward. Maybe uh, we'll, we'll mix things up. Maybe it's Sean Lane's turn. Maybe he'll finally get across the line first. Maybe I'll go for the, the tall timber there. So Sean Lane, FTS. Uh, you went a little bit more conservative on the uh, – slightly more conservative than I did on the points. I think if we're going to win, we'll win solidly. I'll go for a 34-16 victory. Um, you know, keep chipping away at that for and against as well. And then best – Yeah, of, you've, only gone, you've only gone maybe one extra try. Yeah, I know. So just, you know. Like I said, you're a little bit more conservative than me, just a little bit. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't being facetious. Uh, but uh, in terms of best on field, once again, Dylan Brown, very good shout. Um, but if we're if I'm you know putting my cards on the table and saying I want the forward pack to dominate, then I want a forward to you know be best on field. I mean, Sean Lane, uh, Reg Junior, Madison, they were all outstanding last week. Maybe it's Isaiah Papali's turn. You know, he, he wasn't wasn't bad by any means last week, but uh, you know a little bit quiet because it was his first game with Jake Arthur. Maybe the Eels have something a little little bit different cooking for him this week. To try and get him more involved. Yeah, I, I, you know he. We thought he wasn't as involved last week, but geez, his stats. Oh, he still he still got to like 140 meters and for a whole chunk of tackles. Like, you know, I suppose that's how um how high we've set the bar for ice is that a quiet game for him is you know 138 meters, whatever it was, plus all the tackles and you know all the off ball. Or maybe maybe we should flip that and just say that's how high he's uh, set the bar for himself. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, so uh, he he set the bar, and fans have sort of lifted their expectations to it. So, you know, it's a testament to the work he's put in the club, and you know, it speaks to why so many fans. I, I I say so many, if not all fans, except for the ones that would you know be leery about the contract issues with the NRL in general, uh, would be so keen to see him back flipping state Parramatta because he is just taking his game to you know top two or three back roles in the competition levels at Parramatta. 
Well, I'm also keen to see it happen because I, I made the big call a couple of weeks ago. You did, yeah, you did, you did. So, yeah, we've all got People a thought I was getting in inside information on no, that just or, or the, whatever. The, no, I'm just, let, let I, the man make I a, just decided let not the man to make a bold prediction, exactly. Exactly. That's it, yeah. All right, let's keep the show rolling. Like we said before, we reversed the script this week. So instead of finishing off the NRL, we're starting, which means there's two other games to cover. Let's go to the New South Wales Cup, which is actually the curtain raise of this game, which is always a pleasure. So if you get out early to Combank Stadium, if you can knock off work at, say, 5 o'clock, you get out there for a 5.30 p.m. kickoff out at Combank as the Eels host the Rabbitohs. And this is uh, Shades, the NRL game, 60s. It is 5v6 just as it is in the top grade. So lots on the line here because the Eels and Rabbitohs are chasing, I believe it's the North Sydney Bears and the Canary Bulldogs for a spot in the top four across these last few rounds in reserve grade. For the Eels, there's a couple of changes this week. Obviously, we mentioned there was a player back on the extended roster in Bowie Simonson for the NRL. He is turning out in this grade. We'll get to that shortly. But at fullback, it's Hayes Perham. On the wings, Solomon Naiduki and Sean Russell. Bowie Simonson turns out in the centres this week, 60s, where he'll partner Zach Seney, or I say partner, but they'll be on the side of the fields. In the halves, it's Jack A. Williams and a big boost here, captain coach Jordan Rankin. He's back. He's going to be the signal caller in the number seven, steering the team around the park. In the front row, we've got Wirimu Greg and Makahesi Makatoa. Maka obviously making way for Ofihi Ogden in the NRL, who we didn't talk about for his debut. So you want to talk about that shortly in a second. And you've got Mitch Rain at dummy half. Back row, Ellie Elsgaham, Tony Matelli, and Kai Rodwell on the bench. Brennan Hands, Tavita Talmapenu, Dan Keir, and Jaden Yates. Looking at the South Sydney team, uh, I think there's Dan Gagai's younger brother, Jacob, there. You've got Josh Mansour, Richie Kenner. I think Dean Hawkins played in a role this year as well. Trent Peoples was the player that played in a role after the controversy about him getting picked uh, uh, in terms of being eligible for selection due to Teamless Tuesday, I think it was. So, uh, not their most experienced lineup as they've had to call on some reserves this week. But yeah, still a formidable team, no doubt. But yeah, just back to, well, the, NRL, um, just back to the NRL 60s. Off the they're making his club debut. Yeah, uh, we we didn't really touch too much on the potential impact of the bench. And, and that's probably our mistake in not, in not going into a closer examination of that. But it's the inclusion of Ogden. You'd have to think that what, BA's maybe looking for is straight out impact. Yeah, an aggressor. Off the bench. He's like Ogden isn't renowned as a workaholic as a as a player. He's um his motor is geared towards um probably um you know those those sort of more explosive carries of the ball in into the ruck. Um he's he's going to be most unlikely to play big minutes. I suppose the question mark is, however, whether this in any way impacts the minutes of either Reg or Junior or impacts the rotation of the bench. You would assume from looking at it that he might get more minutes than what, because um, Bryce Cartwright remains listed in the team, yep. he's he's probably like likely to get the least minutes. He's there as that utility type replacement where he could come on, play the middle, play the edge in, in a in a pinch uh, fill in in a backline position. Although it's probably more likely that there would be a reshuffle uh, around uh, Murata Mar- Nikore than than Bryce Cartwright were a, a back to go down. But um, yeah, I, I'm I'm expecting that there will be some sort of uh, change in the minutes. 
how that change manifests, I'm not sure, but you'd have to think the inclusion of Ogden for Makahesi Makatoa is going to be significant in some way. Yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't make the change. I like it as well because Eel signalled their intents at the, I say trade deadline, but the, the transfer deadline uh, at the start of August when they were you know heavily targeting guys like Marty Tapout and David Klemmer. They, they wanted something more off the bench. It was clear. They felt like there was a space in this team, in this roster, in the construction of their top 17 to get more value from their interchange. Offie Ogden is a guy that flashed at the Canterbury Bulldogs before departing them, and we've seen him in reserve grade dominate. So he, he comes on with a license to rip in. He's playing behind a number one and number two prop rotation that would essentially be number ones at any club in the NRL. That's how good uh, Junes and Reg are. So he doesn't have to come in and be the workhorse. He comes in as the aggressor, as the enforcer, as the guy that's going to rip in, you know, run hard, make his tackles and hit hard. So really looking forward to what he can uh, do on debut. And maybe that'll be the difference maker for the Eels in a, in a contest where our Ford Pack has been ambushed a couple of times. Maybe he can bring the juice that we need off the bench. And you know what? I don't mind the fact that we've segued that from the New South Wales Cup because he's been a mainstay of the yes, team. Yes, yes. And... And this is uh, just a, a, as that little bit of an extra segue. The his teammates in the New South Wales Cup seem to be really pumped about him getting the opportunity. There was a lot of mentions of his elevation in yeah, their social media. Up, obviously, they, they were very happy for him to get his shot. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's going to be maybe a little bit of extra energy and motivation for the New South Wales Cup team. They're they're back to being the curtain raiser this week after playing out the back of Blacktown against the uh, Workers Sea Eagles last week. So just on that game, uh, is, is that a form guide coming in? Well, the the Blacktown Workers Sea Eagles sit down at the the bottom of the ladder, and it was not a pretty game to watch. It was a really ugly match. Now, not I'm not saying from the Eels' perspective. I really thought and I don't want to be critical of officials, and maybe it was just the way that the the game was unfolding, but it really, there, there was some odd calls. There was, I don't know, it was just a really ugly game to, to watch in terms of the flow of the match. And uh, there was certainly a period of time there for at least about 10 minutes or, or maybe longer where the Eels were basically taking up residence in their own 20 where there was repeat set after repeat set after penalty after repeat set after penalty. <laughs> it was just going on. And eventually it ended up with Eliel Zakim being sent to the sin bin for 10 minutes. And it was it was pretty significant in the match because they managed to hold out the Seagulls during that time. I'm not saying that the Seagulls necessarily threw too much at them, but just through weight of penalty and uh, possessions and just the the sheer, uh, I, I suppose, the energy that they had to exert during that time, the Eels, uh, it, it was reminiscent of the work that they did against the Panthers a couple of weeks back when they played with 12 and then eventually 11 men for a period of 10 minutes against the uh, the Panthers and were able to stay... Uh, pretty much uh, keep keep the the scores from uh, advancing during that period of time. So 
uh, and I think in, even uh, outscored the Panthers when they were down shorter in number. So there's obviously a lot of ticker in the team, play with a bit of heart. So from that perspective, from that uh, never surrender perspective, I think it does show a little bit of a form guide to this game. Uh, they had, from memory, the last time these two teams played, the Rabbitohs were up 14-0 from memory. Yes, And then were, the Eels ran Eels them down in the second half. Yeah. So then that, that was a significant game given, I mean, you look at the context right now, Eels two points ahead coming into this game. So uh, that game would have seen them flip positions on the ladder. And now the result of this game potentially gives the Eels a two-win bumper or buffer over the Rabbitohs as they push for the top four. So a lot on the line here. I mean, obviously Jordan Rankin's a huge in for this team. Uh, with no Jake Arthur and no Rankin last week, the team were a little bit short on cohesiveness, but they obviously pulled it through, like you said, on the back of grit and resilience. Uh, but now if Rankin in the seven, you'd like to think that he and Perrin can cause a little bit of havoc out on the edges. I think Makatoa is going to be solid for him. He gives the Eels a, a really good workhorse presence in the front row. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot, but that back row is, you know, young and exciting. Elsgeham has been a really good presence in this team for the last, uh, what, 18 going on, sort of 20-plus months now. Tony Mattelli's carved out a really nice role as a young back role in this team when Kai Rodwell is a player we've raved about at length. So looking forward to what they can do. Um, yeah, the, this is a game for them to lose rather, you know, they, they come into this game as favourites, I think, is what I'm trying to say. They've got Yeah, and just to what you said about Tony Mattelli, I really think he's staking a claim for uh, his status uh, contract-wise next mm. season. Mm. He, he's, he is one to keep an eye on because... He was always going to be one to keep an eye on this year, but he got a, an injury during the preseason and missed an awful lot of football this year before uh, coming back about halfway through the season. So, yeah, he, he and he's won, a player that he can on. finish this season strongly and carry that form into the preseason. Could be a bit of a mover and shaker on the depth chart. So, definitely something we're going to monitor in the coming weeks and months. But starting this week, got to get the misses done on Friday night. This one kicks off, like I said, at five thirty PM. So make sure you, if you can get out there do so because I think it's going to be a cracker. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's and last week at Brookvale, the uh, Jersey flag team set the tone as the curtain raiser. Uh, and I think there's probably something to be said that when the, you know, the first grade team looks at what the, the lower grade is doing out there on the field, that, you know, it gives them a, a little bit more impetus. Absolutely. Going into the game, you know, absolutely. it's, uh, it's, it's, and as we saw on out at Blacktown on Sunday, a lot of the NRL boys were out there supporting their teammates in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, they don't have to be there. They're just there. They're there cheering them on. And I think that says a lot for... Um, and, and you do see that with a number of clubs where if their lower grade are paying out on uh, some of the suburban parks rather than at main stadiums, they do try to get out and be like a have that one club uh, atmosphere or, or, or culture about them. And uh, as I said, there was uh, no shortage of the boys out there cheering on their their club mates out at Blacktown. And I think it does go a long way towards setting the tone for the first grade match. If the lower grade match uh, is a is a cracker, and if especially if the uh, if their team wins. Well, it's going to be a massive night on Friday for me and you because we'll be there for the game in the Cup at 5.30, followed on by that 7.55 kickoff in the NRL, followed 
by a live appearance at Jack's Bar and Grill to break down all the action from those two games. We're, we're going to be joined by another Parramatta Eels legend, which I'll let you break later on in the, in the podcast. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have a very busy Friday, which means backing up is going to be hard. But if we can manage to do it, 3 o'clock on Saturday out at Ringrose Park, one of our old stomping grounds there, the Parramatta Eels are hosting the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the Jersey flag. Uh, we, we've spoken about this, but unfortunately for the Parramatta Eels, it might be a case of too little, too late in the 21s. Uh, with the what we think is, it hasn't been fully confirmed for us, but we believe it is a top five or top six this year. We looked at the numbers, 60s, and given the draws that the Panthers and Dragons have, the teams that occupy five and six currently, um, between buys and I think both teams just play bottom three teams in this competition, the Seagulls, Thunderbolts and Rabbitohs, uh, it's almost a mathematical impossibility for the Eels to make a top five or top six cutoff this year. That doesn't mean they're done playing football, though. There is still plenty on the line for a number of players looking to push into you know higher honors for the preseason or uh, you know future contracts as well as just coming back next year in the flag to you know sharpen those claims. And the Eels line up like this as they look to do so. We've done Torrey Louis at fullback. You got Moila Graham Talfer who scored a double on one wing, and then you got Torrey Williams on the other flank in the centres. It's Jabril Kalachi and Samuel Luizu, who comes back from the Reggie's team to replace uh, Corey Fenning, who we believe must be injured or suspended. Uh, in the halves, Mac Fisi partners Ethan Sanders, front row, Peter Tatio and Jonte Jr. Beffen Mesa are the starting bookends. Kuj Natili Schmidt is the dummy half. In the back row, it's Ryan Jones, Felix Natili Schmidt and Brock Parker are locked forward. On the bench, Jacob Davis, Saxon Pryke, Larry Moagatutia and Jack Colavati. Nikal Raffle is the 18th man. Didn't get to see the game at Brookie for obvious reasons on Friday. 60s did catch the highlights. And geez, some of those players look sharp. Look like uh, Ethan Sanders had an outstanding first half. Look like Jacob Davis was a handful in the second. And then, you know, when you look at that scoreline, was it 38-8? So the Eagles were, you know, all over the Seagulls in this particular game. And hopefully they can carry this form into the game against the Rabbitohs. Yeah, and Ethan's, uh, he's young. So he's only 18 this year. He's done very well in essentially skipping the SG ball where he played from memory, I think, two games of SG ball right at the start of the season, but he did his preseason with the Jersey flag. I think rightfully he then uh, has spent the the great majority of the season as the as the Jersey flag halfback. He's got better with every game. He's quite... Uh, Physical in the way that he plays for an 18-year-old half. He's reasonably tall, um, athletic build. He'll uh, There's even, even a school of thought out there that when Jake Arthur was elevated to the NRL, that perhaps Ethan could have been given some time in the New South Wales Cup just to test him further in the open age. Whether that would have been rushing him or not uh, is another story, but the Eels certainly have... Um, the history on their side because uh, Dylan Brown and Ace Dunster and Ethan Parry, uh, they were all blooded in uh, at the end of a Jersey flag uh, slash NYC season. I think it was might have reverted to Jersey flag when that happened. But anyway, uh, they, they got some uh, matches at the end of uh, the season for Jersey flag and, and, and when that happened, the Eels were in uh, contention in that under-20s comp and they were still elevated up to the New South Wales Cup. So, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised had they selected Ethan. They didn't. Um, 
they've allowed him to stay within the Jersey flag. And it's fair to say they've picked up a bit of late season momentum and they're playing the penalty for some yeah, average the, games. The whole raft, whole raft of winnable games they dropped, you know, from the early parts to the mid parts of the season. So they'll, when they do their season review, they're going to be kicking themselves, no doubt, because this is a very talented team. They just kept, you know, stumbling over their own feet at times. And when we spoke to Corey Fenning on the podcast, he admitted as much as being frustrating, you know, with their own lack of, uh, not just discipline, but just, you know, lack of completions or whatnot. They, they've been hurting themselves. But that's the silver lining here, like we said at the start, is that you've got three or four games now to hone your craft and push your case for an NRL preseason, a development contract, a top 30 upgrade, depending on which player you are. Uh, so there, there is still a lot, and you know, even just coming back next year for another crack at the Jersey flag, there are plenty of kids in this team that are not in the 21-year-old bracket. They're in the 20-year-old bracket, which means they can come back in 2023. So there is a lot on the line here, even if the final spot isn't. Yeah, and really they were almost a completely new team because you had quite an influx of players that were recruited from elsewhere for the uh, Jersey flag team mixed in with some Pathways players, a couple of players that were elevated uh, virtually straight out of the Harold Matts, like Ethan Sanders, uh, like Charlie Geimer, who was playing in there earlier in the season. Saxon Pryke. Uh, Saxon Pryke at, uh, at the end of the season. So uh, they're, they're players that we know have a lot of potential, a lot of upside that maybe in a... In, uh, not necessarily next year, but you'd certainly think 2023 might be pushing at uh, New South Wales Cup level. But, you know, like any lower-grade team, the chopping and changing that happens with not just injuries but elevations and uh, and availability for different reasons, it, it, it really seemed like there weren't too many weeks where the same team would be trotting out yeah, week after week. Consistency of roster was absolutely an issue. Yeah, and the number of combinations of five eights that have played alongside Ethan this year has been has been quite phenomenal. So uh, yeah, look, I think I think we can find some reasons why they haven't, uh, why they probably won't qualify for finals football. I think there is a a small percentage opportunity that they could, but they would need uh, results to be completely conflicting with uh, earlier season form or, or most of the season form for uh, in other games and to go their way uh, for that to happen. And yep. as you and I said, it, it's almost a mathematical impossibility. The, the likelihood of it happening across multiple games... It, it just, yeah, it, they just have to treat now each game on its own merit, finish off the season strongly, and then see where that might lead them uh, individually as much as anything leading into next year. Yeah, and looking at this roster, there's a whole stack of young men that could feature in an extended NRL preseason. So, there, like I said, there's a lot on the line here and a lot to put on tape and on film for the coaching staff. So starts at 3 p.m., kickoff, Ringrose Park, like I said, one of our old stomping ground 60s. We're going to be absolutely uh, exhausted backing up from a huge Friday night, but hopefully we can get out there and cover. Uh, so look forward to that one. And yeah, I'm looking forward to getting out to Ring Rose, actually. Hopefully the canteen's open. <laughs> it's 
been a long, the old chips and been gravy. a long time yet yeah, for the old chips and gravy, one of the old park footy staples. Um, yeah, and so I'm looking forward to the boys putting on a good performance too because they've got a bit of momentum now, and it'll it'll be good to see if it's you know academic in terms of uh, finals, how far they can take this streak and you know and maybe build something into the preseason for 2023. I was going to see if I could. Um, convince Yoko to go to another suburban ground to uh, watch some football. Uh, but then I realised she has, uh, I think, maybe something at a pub somewhere. So that might actually free me <laughs> to be a definite starter. Uh, but, I, look, I've got to give her props because she went out to Blacktown on Sunday to watch the New South Wales Cup. She also went to the opposed session between the flag at the NRLW. She started to sound dangerously like an NRL fan. Can, can you believe that? I mean, you know a little bit more about Yoko than the than our listeners out there, but <laughs> for her to go and sit in the cold yeah. on a on a fold out chair at Kellyville watching a training session between the NRLW and the Jersey flag made a I think I've excelled in in being able to manage to get her to do that. Well, again, I think I just need to be very thankful that she's uh, prepared to share my interests with me like that. (laughs) Uh, uh, Now, before we wrap up, I did mention we're going to be live from Jack's Bar and Grill in the post-game against the South Sydney Rabbitohs 60s. We've had an absolute blast doing that all year, and it's been honestly really, really fun of, you know, bumper crowds and fantastic audiences all year. Um, we've had some fantastic guests, which poor soul uh, has been consigned to hang out with us for 20 minutes at Jack's Bar and Grill this week. Well, I think when when uh, Eels fans are thinking about who is one of the greatest legends to ever pull on a Parramatta Eels jersey, the name Brett Kenny comes to mm-hmm. mind. So we will have Brett Kenny once again to join us. What we've what we've really found is how popular these legends are with the punters that get there and, to and watch our fans. podcast. As soon as we, as soon as we cut them loose from having a chat oh, with us, the, the swarm of people going over for autographs and photos and, and just have a chat with them uh, about either the you know their time playing or what they what their takes are on what's happening in the game at the moment. It's just. You know, it's really great to see that it's there's that love there of, it's uh, a, of players who've worn the blue and gold. It is a very, you know, good and I say stark, but in the best kind of way, a reminder of the kind of rugby league royalty that has graced this club, you know, through the 80s and, and into the 90s too, obviously. But, uh, you know, guys like Brett Kenny and Steve Eller, it's not just the Parramatta fans that mobbed them. You know, Eller got absolutely uh, swarmed by Bros- uh, Brisbane Broncos fans. Yeah, so, yeah. Know. I mean, that was that was an interesting podcast that we did after that Thursday night because if people remember back to that Thursday night against the Brisbane Broncos, that it was, I mean, for a start, it was a Thursday night. It was absolutely teeming down with rain. The Eels didn't turn up, got hammered, and we're doing a podcast back in the club in front of uh, what was a, a slightly smaller audience than normal. Uh, and that audience were wearing Broncos jerseys, mm-hmm. so uh, it was uh, that was a that was an interesting podcast to do. But to see the those people lining up wearing the opposition jerseys, but wanting a photo and a chat with Steve Ella, and 
hearing them say things like, you know, we really love watching you out on the field and, you know, you were one of my favourite players and, you know, just just the, you know, that sort of reaction from people who follow different clubs to a legend of the, of the Eels is, is something. And, and I have to say, I, I look, I think it's been – I've thoroughly enjoyed it because we've got to – um, share time with these players. We get a bit of time before we start the official um, hosting with them. We have a bit of a chat to them afterwards, but we couldn't ask for anything more from these these uh, legends of the no, game. They're just not. they're so giving of their time. They're so um, candid in what they uh, have to say. They're you know and and just being able to have a, a chat and a laugh with them and. You know, I think the the highlight was definitely Neville Glover showing his dance moves. That was that's going to remain a highlight for me. <laughs> it's like I said, they're they're a wonderful you know cast of uh you know not just former players but just men in their own right. They're you know incredible characters, so knowledgeable about the game you know back then and still now. And it's always an absolute honour to be able to sit there and just chat footy for twenty minutes to half an hour from in front of a a very you know vocal and appreciative audience. Now we know that we get uh, you know, different people that turn up and uh, and have a listen to the podcast. Uh, we do have some some regulars there that we appreciate that uh, drop in to have a listen to the post match breakdown with us. Uh, but what we will endeavour to do is to you know we try to come up with some different because uh, we had Brett Kenny earlier in the year. We'll, we try to dig into different areas rather than just the same areas of of their of their background or, or their playing history or their takes on different things. So um, those that have been there before, uh, when we've had Brett as a guest, uh, we we will be looking at, uh, at uh, chatting with him about different things to what we've chatted with him before about. Mm-hmm. And usually we'd sign off on a really bright note, but there's some breaking news in the rugby league community that is incredibly sombre and unfortunate. Um, as we finish this recording, it's it's come to pass that a former Parramatta Eel and Premiership winning coach at the North Queensland Cowboys, Paul Green, has been found dead in his Brisbane residence at just the age of 49, 60s. The cause of death is unknown. It is going to go to the coroners for a post-mortem. Uh, but you'd have to think at 49, it must be something heart-related or something like that. That That is incredibly sad. And you know, he's a guy that has been mentioned regularly as coming back into the NRL in one of those potentially vacant coaching gigs and suddenly he's no longer with us. Yeah, it's it is uh, horrible news to uh, to hear in general. I mean, it, we we have that opportunity to to take that news into the podcast, but it's the sort of thing that we obviously wish we weren't passing on as part of the podcast. No. Uh, our, obviously, our, our our thoughts and best wishes to his uh, his loved ones. Um, yeah, forty nine is far too young, and. Uh, you know the the rugby league world, uh, let alone his uh, his immediate um, circle of uh, friends and family, are going to be uh, the poorer for his passing. Yeah, Green played for Cronulla, North Queensland, the Roosters, Parramatta, and Brisbane. He won the Rothmans Medal in '95. Uh, he's played State of Origin and for Australia too, representing Queensland. Uh, you know, the guy did pretty much everything there was to do in the game, including winning that maiden premiership for the North Queensland Cowboys and. It is an incredible loss for the game. You know, 49 is way too young, but even outside of that, just, you know, uh, part of the iconic part of modern history when they raised that uh, raised that uh, trophy in 2015, 
you know, that that is something the Cowboys have been hunting for so long with such a good team and they couldn't do it until Green got there. So what a loss, what a tragedy far too soon. And obviously, you know, our thoughts and wishes are with him, uh, with his family and his loved ones. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. There's probably not too much more we can no. say at this point, but um, yeah, we we are we are thinking of them and 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 as I said, send those thoughts uh, their way. Yeah, and, and usually this is the point where I'd say thanks for stopping by and whatnot, but you know it's, it feels kind of you know wrong to do it here. So we'll just catch you guys in the next episode. Keep safe, guys. Okay.